You are now listening to Music Legends with your host, Chili Will. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Chili Willy, a.k.a. the Dark Web Taco Bell. And on today's Music Legends, I'll be telling the story of a brash teenager who playfully stumbled on the hip-hop scene as he skipped his seventh period class just to record songs, and of course eat frozen pizza with his friends. But he was quick to develop a much deeper connection and understanding of music, even since he was four years old. car rolls silently through a snowy suburban Detroit neighborhood. Inside one of the homes are two troublemaking fifth graders, Malcolm and Jimmy. Malcolm's bedroom had an instrument in every corner, and an unusual scent that you don't normally find in a fifth grader's bedroom. Some older kids in the neighborhood gave them some weed, and they decided to try it. As Malcolm sat with his friend, his mind began to feel tingly and he reminisced on the first time he's ever smoked. The first time he'd smoked, he was in the third grade. He found his father's pack of cigarettes sitting on the kitchen counter. Being the curious kid he was, he snatched it. After all the times watching his father light it up, it came easy to him. He inhaled the smoke, but it traveled quickly, and he started coughing like he never had before. By the time fifth grade had come around, His curiosity took interest in bigger and better things. Weed, and more importantly, music. He taught himself how to play the guitar, drums, bass, and even piano. Malcolm was now sitting on the edge of his bed, strumming his guitar, trying to learn the chords of Bob Marley's No Woman No Cry. Someday, I'm gonna be just like Bob Marley, said Malcolm. You wanna be a Rastafarian? muttered a voice from a hazy other side of the room. No, singer, dummy, replied Malcolm. But after a few short years, he would make a change of plans. He still wanted to pursue music, but instead of singing, he found himself involved in a culture that was much louder. In high school, he decided to focus on his hip-hop career, later stating, quote, Once I hit 15, I got real serious about it, and it changed my life completely. I used to be into sports, go to all the high school parties, but once I found hip-hop, it was almost like a job. That's all I did, unquote. I mean, he still ate, he still slept, but he definitely cut all the non-essentials out of his life, including school. Malcolm started to cut school so much, he would sometimes be out for weeks or months at a time. Quote, they let him graduate even though he shouldn't have. He was charming. He had that air of innocence about him, so teachers believed him. Like, oh, he's not cutting class because he's a dick. He's cutting class because he's pursuing his rap career. Unquote. That's what a family friend had said years later. The first thing I thought when I heard that was... What a nice bunch of teachers. But it makes sense. His resume proves it. 
Malcolm kept a consistent A, at least in his music class, throughout his four, well, more like two years of high school. It may have been a fairly easy class to pass, but it shows that he was really devoted to music. Just in an undevoted way. When he wasn't soaking up knowledge in his music class, he would show up at school only to pass out his music. As he grew deeper into hip-hop, he grew farther away from the real world and started creating one of his own. Once Malcolm started to rap, it became much more than a full-time hobby. Quote, He would come to school looking tired as hell, recalled a friend years later. He'd be like, I'd just been up all night, rapping and writing. I would just walk by a classroom and see him furiously writing in his notebook. His own little world grew to be so big, and he was the king of it. Malcolm was only 15, and like a ghost, his friends might catch a glance of him walking down the hall or in the parking lot, but no one could predict when they'd talk to him next. Still, everyone knew when they did get a chance to hang out with Malcolm, it would be an unforgettable time. It was April of Malcolm's senior year of high school, and the words that came out of his mouth most often, if they weren't rap lyrics, they were a certain phrase, I don't care. And he really didn't, except for when it came to music. Everything he did was for music, whether he was going to school just to pass out his CDs, or whether he was at a packed house party where he happened to be that night. I don't care is a phrase that can be purposeless, but powerful at the same time. And there Malcolm was, hidden away in the bathroom, muttering it to himself once again. I don't care, he said over and over to himself. The overhead bathroom lights blaring bright in his eyes, waking his sleepy and slightly drunk brain. There were eight purses glimmering in front of him. And in his eyes, those purses would help make his music career a real career. With the boom of the DJ's beats blaring in his ear, Malcolm began his search, picking anything of value as fast as he could. He had his work cut out for him, and before the ladies could even notice their purses were gone, every single purse was right back where they left it, just a lot lighter. Malcolm had what he needed, well, more than he needed. He was already in his car, so he started the engine. He glanced in the passenger seat full of stolen purse goods, then adjusted the rearview mirror, revealing a large TV. He drove away with one specific phrase running through his mind. I don't care. Yet his mind was on a whole nother level. Although it may have been a pretty corrupted business, he definitely had his own business. Only 18, but I have my own business. And I got fame like what the fuck business. Whole bunch of cameras, fake ass bitches. Everybody around wanna treat me all different. Oh, I'm cool. Cause I got money Back in high school None of these soldiers trying to fuck me I thought it was conspiracy After a couple days He would sell not only his stolen purse goods But the TVs that he stole from the same parties Believe it or not That wasn't his only sketchy business either Malcolm was not only a drug dealer at one point But quote A horrible drug dealer Mostly because he'd rip off his clients By selling terrible weed While promising it was high grade and even when he had good weed, he would spend his money on studio time. Every cent he stole, every dollar he made selling weed, it was all going towards recording studio time. 
and that was how he funded his second mixtape. And with all that money, it sounded like more of a professionally recorded album rather than a mixtape. But now at only 18 years old, Malcolm had two mixtapes under his belt. I work harder than anybody you know. I'm done with tricks, don't need no money to blow. Deadly aim, self-contained, superstar to yell the name. Blood diamonds, finna go to hell for my chain. A piece fitted on my head, though. I'm too high, you can't reach me with the self. Despite his sketchy activities, Malcolm wasn't a complete bad apple. I mean, he wasn't even like a two-week-old apple that you forgot about on your kitchen counter. Anyway, Malcolm had a choice to make. Either drop out of high school, or spend the next two months grinding his life away to get passing grades to graduate. Well, let's just say Malcolm chose to be one ripe, delicious apple of a student. Do you remember studying with the note cards? Yeah. How much studying actually helped was crazy. Because yeah. I had never studied before in my life. And then, like, I studied with those note cards that you were so... And you got by without just, like, a C. Right, and I just killed it, which was nuts. All I had to do was study. Got an A. I don't even... I never thought a grade could make me feel that good. But that was the thing, is that the last three months of school, I, I proved to be a good student. You work so much harder than I think you give yourself credit for. After he graduated, Malcolm was a sharper writer and a harder worker. Those last few months of high school had taught him a lot of lessons, and also helped him acquire a lot more homies. But now, it wasn't just high school homies listening to his music anymore. Since hip-hop was the only thing Malcolm cared about, that was the only thing he talked about. And no matter where he was, his radiating charisma and passion took action and helped him build a rapport with several popular rappers and rap groups around the area. It was only a matter of time before he was spitting verses in front of him. Malcolm had grown to become a decent rapper, but even more importantly, a likable artist. Someone that the world had never quite seen, nonetheless, never seen in full effect. And Malcolm had just the tools to show the world what he could do. In a sense, Malcolm's charisma and passion became his wings that could lead him to soar the ranks of the music industry. But he still had to learn how to fly. So how did Malcolm learn to fly? Well, Malcolm was running in and out of the studio so fast his feet almost left the ground, but not quite yet was he ready to fly. Malcolm would record all day with dozens of loaded and battered notebooks. Writing had become almost second nature to him. Every sight he saw, every noise he heard inspired him to move his pen across the paper in a unique way. He realized after reconnecting with his friends that somewhat of a social life was important and something that he enjoyed. However, with all the studio time, it was a lot harder to meet up with his friends. But they had one specific meeting place. According to the owner, Malcolm and his friends just casually came by to hang out and eat candy but I feel like they did a little bit more than that. His rap career and his social life were starting to work together as he and his friends would freestyle to strangers standing outside the Frick Park Market. One day, Malcolm walked into the studio for another average day of making music. 
but waiting for him was someone you may not expect. I mean, really not expect. Unless you're a football fan, you may have never heard of him. Darrell Rivas may play football for the New York Jets, but like Malcolm, he attended the University of Pittsburgh. Rivas had his ear to the ground, so he brought this underground hip-hop to his agent, who of course knew some pretty important people in the music industry. Lo and behold, Malcolm walked into the studio and he saw the football star along with his agent and the head of A&R for Capitol Records, ready to sign him with a signature that would blow his career into the sky. But Malcolm refused the seemingly undeniable offer. He wanted to keep his music independent and underground for as long as he could. Although they were disappointed, Malcolm's charismatic personality had prevailed once again. Malcolm and Revis even recorded a song together that night, with Revis going under the moniker Mr. Manhattan, who sounds a little something like this. Yo, this your boy Mr. Manhattan. I'ma just keep it like that. All eyes on me. All eyes on me. Now we getting paid, so you know we feeling great at the club, motherfucker. All drinks are free. One snowy afternoon in Pittsburgh, eating a bowl of Easy Mac, a breakfast of champions, with a pen in one hand and a fork in the other. Silence blew across the dirty basement apartment, except for the white noise of Malcolm's pen gliding across his notepad and intermittent clanking of his fork against the bowl every time he took a bite of mac and cheese. Malcolm could write while doing just about anything, at least until a yellow noodle fell off his fork mid-bite and fell right on his notepad. Malcolm stopped dead in his tracks as a light bulb sparked into action deep within his creative soul. Easy Mac Measy. Well, that name didn't stick around for long. But it was the very first iteration of the name that did stick, which is Mac Miller. And that name stuck like a piece of macaroni on a notepad. By 2009, Mac Miller had established himself as not only an independent, but a successful rapper. He did end up signing with a record label, just a way more independent one, called Rostrum Records. And some of the only reasons he chose Rostrum were due to its handy location near his hometown and of course its association with Wiz Khalifa. In the lead up to his mixtape, Kids, Mac began working closely with the president of the record label and Wiz Khalifa himself. The president said, quote, I noticed a certain maturity that he was beginning to approach in his music, unquote. By that point, Mac Miller had started attracting interest from several record companies, but Mac wasn't going anywhere. Well, except up. Mac had definitely learned how to use his wings as he started becoming friends with Wiz Khalifa. He released his mixtape, Kids, which was inspired by the 1995 film, well, Kids. At the 2010 Hip Hop Awards, Mac was awarded the 21 and under of the year, and best hip hop video for Live Free. Mac was now officially in the big leagues, but he still had his haters. And no matter how many people gave him a hard time or made fun of him, he just kept smiling back at those people and making music about it. Mac had a certain kind of smile, one that seemed like he could never be beaten. He was always wearing it, and it wasn't plastered on his face either. It was real. If something happened that would make anyone else's mood shift, Mac would simply make a joke and keep smiling. I think we should all take Mac's lead with that sometime. Some people more than others. 
Mac went to make his first song to chart on the US Billboard Top 100. It was called Donald Trump, and once the man himself learned that there had been a rap song named after him, he didn't take after Mac and make a witty joke. Instead, he made a bunch of angry tweets, saying, quote, Little Mac Miller's next album may just bomb. He can't use my name again for sales. And another tweet, I'm going to teach you a big boy lesson about lawsuits and finance, you ungrateful dog. Unquote. But thankfully, he never taught Mac that lesson. In fact, the President of the United States now claims to enjoy his music. Although he now had the love of the internet and Donald Trump, he had just released his debut album, Blue Side Park, which was both a success and a failure. It was a success because it was the first independently distributed debut to take the number one spot on the Billboard Albums chart since 1995. It was a failure because critics were quick to shoot him back down. It wasn't just that the reviews were horrible, to use Mac's words, quote, a lot of the reviews were more on me as a person. To be honest, that was even worse. You're 19, you're so excited to put your first album out, you put it out, and no one has any respect for you or for what you did." Unquote. Mac took the bad reviews to heart, and they ended up sending him into a personal tailspin. We ain't on the same shit, no way. You ain't from my planet, we don't speak the same language. This is an occasion, ain't it? I'm feeling good and hating. Shit, I don't recognize these faces. His problems got worse once he started the Macadelic Tour in 2012. For the first leg of the tour, he played nothing but colleges, and that only helped create the perception of Mac Miller becoming, quote, a frat rapper. Over six grueling months, he played 53 shows, including 20 in Europe. He said years later, quote, going through customs every day is not fun, unquote. And Mac's right, it's tiring. It wears on your soul, mind, and body, especially when your fans want you to party every single night. Mac was sitting alone in a messy hotel room. The distant, dirty sound of a record scratching as the beetle had hit the end of its trail tickled Mac's ears, almost as evidence left over from the long night before. The repeating sound was driving poor Mac insane. He was shaking wildly, but it wasn't cold in the room. Mac was nervous and scared, and he had been smoking weed and drinking since the age of 14. He didn't know any other way to deal with this pain that lingered within him. So now, he sat there with a pile of cocaine in front of him, and a glass of purple drank in his hand. Purple drank is a combination of Sprite, Permethazine, and Codeine. Basically, purple drank is hip-hop's heroin. Several rappers have died because of it, and others like Lil Wayne have had a multitude of seizures. It's the rap Diablo, macho when I drop flows. The bar gets raised up, it's me and Petey Pablo. Colder than Gaspacho, colder than the mono. Rapping head honcho, rocking shows like I was Bono. I go, play a couple keys on the piano. The industry a lie, all the promises were hollow. Follow. He told Complex in 2013, quote, I was not happy when I was on Lean Heavily. I was so fucked up all the time. It was bad. My friends couldn't even look at me the same. I was lost." Unquote. He quit taking Promethazine in November of 2012, and got his life together just to shoot something. Usually when you're shooting something, it's not a good thing, whether you're shooting heroin or shooting a person. 
But for Mac, this shoot was just what he needed to get him out of his lonely hotel room and make him realize the great powers he had. So what did Mac have to shoot that brought him right out of his depression and rampant drug use? Well, nothing. He had a bunch of camera guys shooting. He was just the star. His reality show, Mac Miller and the Most Dope Family, began. And it was no mystery why a network like MTV would want to build an entire show around Mac. He's arguably the biggest white rapper since Eminem, and one of the most successful independent rappers ever. He spent a few months getting sober and getting his life together. But after filming only one season of the show, he spiraled down and out of control. Some of the most moving and beautiful music comes from our darkest times. And that's exactly what happened with Mac Miller's next album. By 2014, Mac was taking drugs daily and felt like the final track on Faces, Grand Finale, was supposed to be the last song he'd ever make on Earth. Yeah, should have died already, Faces. I should have died already, shit, Faces. Yeah. I should have died already. I came in, I was high already. Everybody tripping, never mind, ain't steady for my sin. Should have been. Although, sadly, it may have been some hardcore foreshadowing, it wasn't the last song he ever made. <laughs> Far from it. But every song on Faces was like a window into an incredibly creative, but undeniably depressive time in Mac's life. On some songs, you can hear a sense of foreboding fear, and others are completely different in the way that there's a sense of recklessness. A sense that Mac didn't care about anything except the drugs that are keeping him awake to rap. But he was doing a lot more than just rapping. Let's not forget that Mac could play several different instruments. So Mac took the term independent a step further and constructed almost every piece of this album. From mixing it to creating the instrumentals, he even went under a different moniker named Larry Fisherman. And that wasn't the first time he'd done so. Two years prior, he'd got a band together and released a five-song jazz EP under the moniker Larry Lovestein in the Velvet Revival. For any Mac Miller fans who haven't heard it, I'll throw a link in the show notes. The EP is called You. I think what Mac was trying to prove with the Faces album is that he had several different personas. Many faces, if you will. But where did these different sides of his creativity come from? Possibly the drugs? But possibly the sheer loneliness of locking yourself in a room hearing the same songs for six months. Regardless, he was intoxicated almost every day during that time. And he, quote, hated being sober, as he stated years later. At the time, he'd also been in an on-again, off-again relationship with his high school girlfriend, who he'd actually met in the fourth grade, which I'm sure couldn't have made the situation any easier. His album Faces almost seemed to be therapeutic in many ways. And it makes sense, because at that point in his career, those were the most emotional songs he'd ever written. These puzzles are so hard to make into pictures of something that they'll understand. By 2016, Mac had become sober for at least three months. His mood was better, and he was maintaining his creativity. He was on a mission, and that mission was codenamed Dad. D-A-D-D. -D. 
do as Drake does. <laughs> Do as Drake does. Because Drake got the game on lock. Like, yeah, he does. If you want to watch how anyone releases music and, and puts out an album, watch Drake. When asked about his sobriety in April 2017, Max said he was now, quote, living regularly. But the question is, what does regular mean to Mac Miller? High in the steep hills of Los Angeles, past a security gate and a sparkling infinity pool, up a pristine marble staircase and behind an all-white door. Mac Miller sits in his office, feet propped up on his desk. The 21-year-old rapper's black burgundy suede chair squeaks as he leans back, smoking an American spirit menthol. He's having a Tony Montana moment, but this time, instead of cocaine, his desk was littered with weed crumbs. This is when the self-described underground rapper is literally the king of the hill. Those weed crumbs left in his desk he hadn't touched in over three months, and he was finally completely sober. Mac wasn't high on drugs anymore. He was high on something else entirely. Nope, not coffee. Man, You're good. What are you straight. drinking now? What is that? This is uh, this is eight shots of espresso oh, over ice. I'm saying it's like Coke, right? I mean, it's no, heavy. no, it's not. Oh, I'm sorry. It's like, <laughs> Coke like, no, is stop like saying Coke. That. This is like really strong it's coffee. coffee. He was high on love. Mac Miller met Ariana Grande way back in 2013, when her manager told her that she needed a hip-hop feature for one of her songs. And Mac happened to be on the list of rappers to be chosen. But legend has it, she thought Mac was the weirdest on the list. And that's exactly why she picked him to rap on her song. Little did she know that there was a real genuine person in there, but a real complicated one as well. They only had to collaborate on one song for them to both realize that they wanted to collaborate with each other on much more than just music. And that's how they found themselves sitting across from one another at a dimly lit table at a sushi bar in LA. The air was filled with smells of incense and teriyaki sauce, and the sounds of dishes clanking, along with a faint traditional Japanese song playing in the background, and of course, other couples talking. But Mac and Ariana weren't talking. They were both just looking nervously at their menus, trying to read the different options of sushi, but profusely wondering what to say. All of a sudden, Mac just lost hold of his menu, and then took hold of himself. He looked right into Ariana's eyes. She smiled, and so did Mac. He took her hand and flipped it over. What's your tattoo mean, he asked. And that was it. The ice had been broken. As they sat there, telling stories about their tattoos, they were laughing like fifth graders after a boatload of candy. How's everybody doing? Just wanna ask you a question, um, have you, have you, have you been in love? It wasn't long after that that they started making music together for fun. Over a few years, they became best friends, even joining each other on tour. When the two got serious, that's when Mac got serious about getting sober. Quote, I'd rather be the corny white rapper than the drugged out mess who can't even get out of his house. Overdosing is just not cool. You don't go down in history because you overdose. 
you just die. Unquote. Mac always had a certain way of creating music that mirrored his reality. And at this point, his mind was sharp and sober, and his soul was falling in love. It was the perfect timing for him to make a new album, and he was getting bored of the same old rap themes. He wanted to dive deep and explore this new feeling. I'm talking about his sixth album, The Divine Feminine. The album features Mac singing nearly as much as he is rapping, and it incorporates genres like R&B, jazz, and funk, all genres of the utmost lusty degree. The album received positive reviews with critics and was quite successful, but Mac didn't care about the reviews this time. He was focused on something else entirely. I mean, we all know love can be blinding, but Mac was beginning to have tunnel vision. He couldn't see anything else around him except his love. Almost understandably so, he felt like his girlfriend Ariana was the one thing he had that was real. So that's all he allowed himself to see. Well, you stay just a little while back. Just a little while, just a little while, just a little while. Ariana and Mac are both incredibly talented and famous musicians with hectic and stressful schedules. Yet they had a very normal relationship. Just like any couple, they stuck with each other through good times, bad times, stress, and everything else. Even through the craziness of being a celebrity, they still had each other's backs. They were each other's rock. They were each other's gravity. What kept each other bound to the ground at a time that was just so easy to float up in the Hollywood abyss. Yet gravity is a blessing and a curse because it's constantly pulling you down. And most of the time, we completely forget it's there. Mac Miller and Ariana Grande held each other together and held each other down for two years. Now, the two were somber, but also single and ready to mingle. Ariana Grande started, quote, casually dating Pete Davidson, who's not as much of a music legend as her ex Mac Miller. But Pete does weirdly look a lot similar to Motley Crue's manager which is why you may have seen him in the Motley Crue biopic, The Dirt. Otherwise, you may have seen Ariana and Pete on Saturday Night Live cutely bantering. Hey, Ariana, I overheard. Do you, like, want to smoke some pot or something? Pot? Let's smoke some crack, man. I'm good. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mac was slowly falling back in love with his first love, drugs. I mean, after all, they'd been part of his normal life for so long. But he'd been sober for over a year, and he just wanted to treat himself. I'm treating me right. Yeah. Hell yeah. We're gonna be alright. One night, as he was driving home, like he usually did reeking of alcohol, his vision was blurry. So much that he couldn't even tell how fast he was going. He peered through the dark LA night, like a hawk looking for its prey. Mac was only looking for the left lane, but a sound startled him even before he had time to feel the impact. He had crashed into a light pole. Mac awoke with a ringing in his ear and the pulse of the turn signal. He was shockingly unharmed, and much more sober than he was earlier. 
He realized he wasn't far from his house, so he walked home, knowing that he was about to pay for the consequences of all the times he'd driven drunk and got away with it. Later that night, the cops showed up at his house. He was arrested and charged with a DUI after blowing twice the legal limit. Although cops did report him being outstandingly plight, regardless, the incident woke him up once again from the life he'd been living. Yeah, I, I made a stupid mistake. I'm a human being, like, drove home drunk, and but it was the best thing that could have happened. Best thing that could have happened. I needed that. I needed to run into that light pole and literally, like, have the whole thing stop. But those things are important, you know? And you get the, you get the urge and, and the itch to tell people, don't worry, I'm okay. Don't worry, I'm okay. So he started getting out again listened to the birds chirping, as well as doing regular rapper things, like doing interviews and shooting music videos. I was all worried about shooting a video, and I shot a video, and I was like, oh, I just had a great time. I was, you know, tripping about doing an interview, and I did an interview, and I'm like, that's not that bad. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just I mean, one was a great time, and the other wasn't that bad? Like, I'm I know, standing but you right in front of you. I know, I know, I know, but, but in my head, I'm like, right. we're gonna talk about it, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna get really but dark. you were great. No, you were great. Thank you. He was in a healthy place again, just in a much more complicated way. So he started writing about it, and what he started writing about became an album. And like it usually goes for Mac, the making of his album Swimming was much more like a bunch of therapy sessions than a couple recording sessions. Although he wasn't completely sober, he was being completely honest with himself. And that's something that he'd never been able to do. He'd said around that time, quote, as long as I'm being honest first and foremost with myself, that allows me to be honest in the music, unquote. Mac had come a long way from that easy Mac and cheesy kid in 2009. Nowadays, all I do is shine, take a breath and ease my mind, she don't cry no more. She tell me that I get her high, cause the angel's supposed to fly, and I ain't asking why no more. Oh no, I take it if it's mine, I don't stay inside the lines, it ain't 2009 no more. When Mac released his new album on August 3rd, 2018, some of the best reviews of his career came with it. You could hear not only a sense of happiness pulsing through it, but a sense of struggle, a struggle that he couldn't live without. Max said, quote, I really wouldn't want just happiness, and I don't want just sadness either. I don't want to be depressed. I want to be able to have good days and bad days. I can't imagine not waking up sometimes and being like, I don't feel like doing shit, and then having days where you wake up and feel on top of the world, unquote. At the end of the day, you can't have happiness without a little struggle. You can't have struggle without some happiness. But the key is balance. And that was what Mac wanted so badly, but was never able to obtain. He thought he could use drugs, as he's always done. Just this time, in moderation. But when it comes to drugs, there is no such thing as moderation. Is this a house, apartment, or a business? It's a house. Are sure. you calling from? Yes. What is the emergency? How can we help you? Okay. Are you there with him now? When's the last time you saw him or talked to him? Yesterday, please. Okay. Hurry. Stay with me on the line, okay? We're already on the way there now. I'm going to give you instructions. 
Minutes after that, the paramedics arrived at Mac Miller's mansion. Although, when they got there, Mac was already gone. The autopsy and cause of death was pending, but later found that his death was a result of an accidental overdose. According to a toxology report released by the LA coroner's office, fentanyl, cocaine, and alcohol were all found in his system. The combination of these drugs is what killed him. The report also noted that one of Mac's many tattoos included one of an hourglass on his arm, with the words saying, only so much time left in this crazy world. My eyes on the enterprise, nine lives never die, fuck a heaven, I'm still getting high, never mind. Did I mention I'm fine, cause her pussy getting wetter when the weather dry. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, 30 times more powerful than heroin. It's one of the deadliest drugs out there and the leading cause of accidental overdose deaths, surpassing heroin. In the past few years alone, fentanyl has killed a number of music legends, including Prince, Tom Petty, and Lil Peep, who all died under similar circumstances to Mac Miller. Mac Miller brings a phrase, Mac Miller brings the phrase rest in peace to a whole new depth. His entire career was defined by a relentless desire to hone his craft and his personal life was filled with a positivity that fueled his desire. But most of all, he was inspired by a feeling. A simple feeling, yet a feeling that we can barely put into words. It's a feeling that we all find in our own way. Peace is the feeling I'm talking about. And Mac had searched for it in music. He searched for it in drugs. And to someone who had never quite found it, he sure brings peace to a whole lot of people through his music. Even through the dark times, he wore a smile. Though it was a complicated smile, it was a smile that meant he was about to channel it all into brilliant music. He said in an interview about a month before his death, quote, you're building a world, so you kind of have to be the architect of what you're making and not think about what the current world is doing. Because I'm just trying to make music for people with the same thoughts or feelings as me, unquote. And that's what makes his music so relatable to people. And ultimately, what makes him a music legend? People that care about me and, and fans that, that love my music. And it's a beautiful, a beautiful relationship with them of, of people who have been with me through being a 19-year-old wide-eyed kid to being a self-destructive, depressed drug user to, you know, making love music to all these different stages and then they see something like that and they worry so your first reaction is let me tell them i'm cool yeah your first reaction is to think about the well-being of others <laughs> well, which but, is kind of crazy when you should be actually just concentrating on yourself to some degree but i understand but you just you just realize you have time yeah do you know what i mean it's, it's like it's like there will be a time to to address those things but it's, everything is you know be fine Thank you all so much for listening to Music Legends. If you haven't already, share it with some friends. And if you liked what you just heard, write me a good review on iTunes or wherever you listen. I know it seems like a simple little thing, but it really does mean the world to me. This episode was produced, edited, and recorded by me, Chili Willy. I also want to give a quick but big shout out to my friend and teacher Chase Thompson, who helps a bunch as well. He's a complete badass when it comes to podcasting and pretty much anything else audio related. Thanks for everything. It's only the beginning. 
And for everyone else, what music legend do you want me to do next? Hit me on the email at musiclegendspodcast at gmail.com or the snail mail or a paper scroll sealed by wax. Whichever way you prefer to transfer words. This has been Music Legends with Chillin'.